Well, I want to begin by welcoming all of you who are joining us from all our Atlanta area churches, our strategic partner churches all over the country, those of you who are watching on television, those of you who are still in your pajamas at home, driving down the street listening, hopefully not watching, wherever you are, we're thrilled that you're here, and of course, all of you who are actually in the room here at North Point Community Church, we're thrilled that you're here. We are in the third part of a series called Christian and we've been talking specifically about this word, and the reason we're talking specifically about this word is because none of us really know what this means, right? We've said over the past few weeks that you can basically make this word mean anything you want it to mean. That's why there are people on both sides of every issue that are Christians. There have been people on both sides of every war, just about, that are Christians. There are people on both sides of every political argument that are Christians, legal argument that are Christians. Um, You have family members that are Christians and you don't get along. You are not looking forward to holidays, right, or summer vacation. And the thing is, you're Christians and you kind of all believe the same stuff, but for some reason, it just doesn't seem to make any difference. And we said the reason is, is because this term was actually a term manufactured in the first century to describe the followers of Jesus, but it was manufactured by people who weren't followers of Jesus it was sort of a derogatory term they called these people. So consequently, this this word and every derivative of it only shows up three times in the Bible and is not defined. The the term that the people who followed Jesus in the first century used to describe themselves was, what what was the word? Anybody know? Good disciples. Every every campus knew that. That's right, disciples. This was the term they used to describe themselves. Now, we've said for the past two weeks, this is a terrifying term because it is so clearly defined. You can be a Christian and believe anything. You can believe a Christian and adopt just about any kind of lifestyle. And if anybody challenges you, say, whoa, 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 I'm a Christian. And you would tell them some things that you believe. The difference between Christian and disciple is simply this. Christian oftentimes is all about what a person believes. Disciple is all about what a person actually believes does. And if you're a church person and if you consider yourself a Christian and you might even consider yourself sort of that next stage where you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand that the people who aren't followers of Jesus, who don't consider themselves Christians, look at us and sometimes expect more of us than we expect of ourselves. And while we hide behind the label, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, people on the outside look at us and say, yeah, but you don't look like Jesus, you don't look like Jesus, you don't look like Jesus. And so there's a tension. There's a conflict. It's why some of you aren't involved in a local church because you're like, okay, forget Christian. Why don't they act more like Jesus? In fact, one of our favorite people who um, you know, passed away recently said it this way in his book, Steve Jobs. If you read his biography, you, you, you may remember this line. He said this, the juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. The juice, and he wasn't a Christian, Steve Jobs says, the juice, as I look as an outsider, as I look at Christianity, the juice goes out of it when it's all about what a person believes as opposed to what a person does. Now, we shouldn't be surprised by this. This shouldn't shock us at all because when we go back to the New Testament and we were to ask Jesus, Jesus, what does it look like to be your follower? I mean, how, how will people know we're your followers? I mean, what's the defining characteristic of being a follower of Jesus, and as he gathered his closest followers together right before he left the earth, he made that unmistakably clear. That's why Christian is an easy word to hide behind. Disciple, follower of Jesus, is not. Here's what Jesus said, we looked at this for the last couple of weeks, he said this. By this, he's got his guys all together, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Not simply what you believe, not simply what you do on Sunday morning, 
But if you love one another, the defining characteristic, the defining characteristic of a person who's a follower of Jesus is how they treat other people. So for the last two weeks, we've talked specifically about that. Today, we're gonna change gears this week and next week, and I wanna talk specifically about what do Jesus followers, or how should Jesus followers treat people who aren't Jesus followers. Jesus followers are supposed to love one another, and that's a difficult assignment, right? It's, it's not easy, it's easier just to believe something, to be a Christian. The whole idea of loving you the way that God loved me, the way, idea of you loving me the way that God loved you, that, that's challenging. But he said that's to, to be the distinguishing characteristic of all of my followers. Today, I wanna talk then about how are we to respond and how are we to act toward people who are outside the faith. Now, if you're not a Jesus person, if you're not a church person, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you're gonna love this because there's gonna be part of you that's gonna wanna go, I've been telling you, I've been telling you, I've been telling you, I've been telling you. That's why I don't go to church. It's why I'm not a Christian. It's why I won't listen to what my parents say. It's why I left the church a long time ago. It's why I tell the guys in my fraternity, don't even start, don't even go there. I've been telling you, I've been telling you. I've been telling you. In fact, today um, is gonna be a little unsettling for some of you. Some of you are like me, you're kind of right-leaning, conservative, you know, you kind of go that way. And what Jesus says today, what we're gonna discover in the New Testament is gonna make you feel a little bit insecure and you're not gonna like it. You may decide you don't wanna come back. Um, if that's the case, all I would ask you to do is this. When you get home, pull out your B-I-B-L-E, if that's the book for thee, you know, okay? <laughs> And I want you to reread the passage of scripture that we're gonna talk about today specifically and, and ask yourself the question, not do I like the sermon and does that make me feel comfortable or what does that do to me politically? I want you to ask the question, is that what the scripture teaches? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, then that's where we take our marching orders, right? So today we're gonna answer the question, how are we, those of us who are supposedly followers of Jesus, disciples, how do we respond to people who've decided they don't wanna be? Now, to begin our discussion, we've got to go back to something else Jesus said as he left the earth because he gives us our marching orders, and that, began, that sort of sets the pace for the direction for what we want to talk about today. Matthew 28, 18, some of Jesus' most famous words are right here. Some of us uh, grew up calling this the Great Commission. Here's what he said, Matthew 28. He said this, therefore, if you remember, he's got all the guys, men and women gathered on the hillside. He's about to leave. You know, Jesus has left the building. He's like leaving for good, and here's what he said. Therefore, go and make disciples. There's our word. Isn't it interesting? He didn't say, go make Christians. He didn't use that term. They didn't, that term hadn't even been invented yet. Go and make disciples. And the little Greek word, make disciples, it's actually one Greek word. And it means to cause someone to become a follower. That's what it means. To cause someone to become a pupil. To cause someone to become a learner. He said, I want you to go and I want you to cause people to become my followers, my learners, my pupils of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he left the earth and his closest followers began doing that. They begin living their lives in such a way. They begin developing these little ecclesias, these little Jesus communities. They begin to teach in such a way that people were drawn to and they became followers of Jesus. And it grew and it grew and it grew and everything went great for the first 300 years. But after 300 years, Rome opened itself up to Christianity, made religions legal and adopted Christianity as the official religion. And then things went bad because now the church had the power now listen, this is really important. Anytime the Jesus followers, or we can call them Christians or whatever you wanna call them, anytime the church leverages anything other than love, 
Anytime the church or Jesus followers or Christians leverage anything other than love, let me say it one more time, anytime the church leverages anything other than love, we go backwards, not forwards. Because Jesus said, by this one thing, all men will know that you're my followers, how you love one another. And once the church got the power, they decided we're not gonna leverage love anymore. We'll leverage some other things. And so after the church got in control, the Great Commission began to sound more like this. Therefore, go and impose my teaching, values, and worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't do everything I command you. Go and impose all my teaching, my values, impose my worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't obey everything I've commanded you. That's the message of a group that has the power. That's the message of a group that's in control. That was not the message of Jesus, neither was it the message of the New Testament, and it's not how this little fledgling, fledgling group of Jesus followers grew to such a point that the, the empire of Rome opened their doors and ultimately emperors embraced Christianity as their religion of choice. It happened because they continuous, continuously modeled and leveraged Jesus' words. By this, all men will know that you're my disciple. Not how you treat them, how you love one another. The West was one. The West was one religiously. The West was one spiritually because a group of people understood their goal was to win the West. Not to impose something on people, not to threaten people with something, but to win them. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he's like the ultimate example of this because Jesus exits the Apostle Paul he decides, hey, I'm gonna go into the non-Jewish world and explain to them that God has done something in our midst. I'm gonna go to the non-Jewish world and I wanna create Jesus followers out of people who have no interest in being a Jesus follower. I wanna create Jesus followers out of people who have their own religion, their own way of life, their own worldview, and they're not looking for a new one. And do you know what approach he took? Here's how he describes it in his letter to the Corinthians, a really tough group of people to convince. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave. In other words, I don't power up. I don't get judgmental. I, you know, I don't get all high and mighty. I've made myself a slave to everyone, and then here's his phrase, to win as many as possible. Then he goes on to say this, I've become a Jew to the Jews to win as many as possible. I've become like one who doesn't have the law to those who don't have the law to win as many as possible. I've become like a Gentile to the Gentiles to win as many as possible. Paul, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to win as many as possible. Why are you trying to do that? Because Jesus said, I want you to go into all this world and I want you to create people and I want you to cause people to become my follower. And I've learned my only way to do this is to win them. Now, let me ask you a question because you know all about this. I wanna ask you to raise your hand. Have you ever won a contract? Have you ever won someone's heart? How'd you do that? How'd you do that? I know how you did it. I know how you won your contract. You made them, for the most part, you made them wanna use your product more than they wanted to use the competitor's product. You made your product look so good, they said, well, I'd be crazy not to use your product. You made the price look so good, they said, I'd be crazy not to win your product, use your product. You won them over by convincing them your product's better than everybody else's product. How did you win her heart? How did you win his heart? You made you the most attractive one, right? You won them over by making them want you more than they wanted anybody else. You don't win people's heart by imposing your will. You don't win a contract by imposing your will. The word that the Apostle Paul chooses here is so strategic. He said, here's my relationship to those who are outside the believing Jesus community. I want to win them 
And so I will become whatever I need to become in order to convince that this is a better way, convince this is a better product, convince this is something worth giving your attention to. I wanna draw them, draw them, draw them, draw them. I want them to peer over the edge. I'm not gonna push them away. I'm not gonna coerce them. I wanna win them and I'll do whatever it takes to win those who are far from God and who are wondering if there's a way to connect with God, their creator. And again, for the first 300 years, that was the approach everybody took. That was the only approach the church had. But then somewhere along the way, they decided we're not gonna leverage love anymore. We're gonna leverage our power. We're going to leverage our authority. We're gonna go from winning to threatening. We're gonna go from God is love to God will get you. And whenever the church, whenever Christians, whenever believers leverage anything other than the love of God, we go backwards every single time. Now, that's kind of anecdotal. What I want to do now is I want to take you to a place in the New Testament where Paul actually teaches this. I mean, I've just sort of used Jesus as an example. Here's Paul as an example. But the Apostle Paul actually teaches us this. And, and, and again, if this kind of rubs you the wrong way, you're thinking, I don't know, then, then that's okay. Just go home and get your Bible out and look it up for yourself. Because I think, I, I'm convinced, because we've gotten this wrong, and I'm not the first person to say this, this is a unique insight. Because we've gotten this wrong, we have set ourselves unnecessarily at odds with culture. Because see, here's what I believe, and if you're not a Jesus follower, a Christian or church person, just so you know, we think we've discovered something phenomenal. We think you can have peace with God. We think habits can be broken. We think marriages can be restored. We think prodigal children and their parents can, those relationships can be restored. We think God can land in the area of your money, your profession, his will. I mean, we think God loves you and we want you to know that. And it doesn't really do us any good not telling you and it doesn't really do us any good if we do tell you, but we feel compelled to try to let you know this incredible news called the gospel, the good news. But the problem is our approach sometimes is terrible. And I don't know how it got confused, but it got confused. So in the book of 1 Corinthians, um, the Apostle Paul explains an approach. And he gives us a little theology that somehow slips off the table. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 5, or I'll put it right up here real quickly. The Apostle Paul wrote four letters to the church in Corinth. We lost two of them. I mean, I didn't lose them. But you know, in the first century, they disappeared. We don't know where they are. He references these letters. We don't have copies of them. But two letters survived. He went to Corinth. Corinth was like Las Vegas. What happened in Corinth, you know, stays in Corinth. It was a very, very immoral, I mean, party city. It was a port city, south, about 50 miles southwest of Athens, if you want to find it when you get home, the ancient city of, of Corinth. Um, very, very pagan, very, very sensual. And so he goes there and he starts a little Jesus community and he teaches them the ways of Jesus, but they're surrounded by a culture that, you know, is just not going to have any of that. So he would write them letters of encouragement. You know, here's how you follow Jesus in a culture like that. Here's how you follow Jesus in, in a world like that. Well, he gets news wherever he is that there's really some really, really nasty stuff going on in the church in Corinth. In fact, he gets news, there's something going on in the church in Corinth that even the people outside the church thinks, uh-uh, nobody does that. And so he's addressing this very, what are you talking about, you're, you're, you gotta be kidding me, kind of issue. And in addressing this issue, he gives us some insight and some teaching into how Jesus followers, disciples, are to respond to people who've decided not to be Jesus followers. So here's how, here's how the story begins. He says this, right in the middle of the letter, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. 
I'm talking about, this is like, and now this is important. What he introduces us to is this, that there is a Jesus follower morality and there is a non-Jesus follower pagan or you know outside the church morality everybody has standards even the romans had standards the greeks had standards the followers of jesus the christians had standards paul says there's two different standards there's the church standard and there's the non-church standard and he says this what's going on in your church is so bad even the pagans are going are you kidding me that's gross nobody does that ah, okay so now you know you want to know what it is don't you okay here's here's <laughs> Here's what was going on, all right? You think your church is crazy. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you're proud. Now, just I, this guy wasn't sleeping with his mom, okay? I think Paul would have said that, okay? Uh, and, but what he was talking about, probably, we don't know for sure, is there was a guy in the church, his, dad, his mom had died perhaps, or maybe his parents had gotten divorced, his dad remarried, and somewhere along the way, this guy is hooking up with his dad's either current but probably ex-wife. And even the pagans go, oh, dude, you don't do that. Nobody does that. That's just weird, okay? So that, that doesn't fit into anybody's standard of, of what's proper. And the language here seems to indicate that this wasn't like a one-time thing, you know? I got up one night and she was brushing her teeth. The next thing you know, and I'm sorry, it wasn't that. This was like an ongoing relationship, okay? And so Paul's going, are you kidding? You're letting this go on and you guys are proud? Now, Here's something you need to understand. They're, the church in Corinth wasn't like our churches, okay? They weren't big. There may have been 50 people. When you think church, think more like a large community group or a large small group, okay? So when people showed up, everybody knew what everybody was doing. So this, this guy's showing up at somebody's house. They're doing coffee and cake before they have their Bible study, and everybody's like, okay, we have to bring this up, okay? Everybody's talking. It's not like they can sit on the back row and kind of sneak in and sneak out. This, our church is better in that way because we got all kind of stuff going on here we don't know about, okay? But in this, in this, hopefully not this, but anyway, but who knows? Okay, so in this community, but in this community, every, everybody knew and nobody is addressing it. Nobody's, you know, talking to the guy. So the apostle Paul goes on. He says this, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out, of your, put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? I mean, shouldn't you have addressed this? Now, he focuses on the man to which we wanna say, okay, what about the woman? I mean, what about his father's wife or his father's ex-wife? I mean, why didn't she brought him this? Why are you picking on the guy? He says, shouldn't you have gone into mourning and, and you know, kick the guy out who's doing this? For my part, he goes on, for my part, even though I am not physically present, because he's writing this in a letter, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way, and then check this out, I have already passed judgment. <laughs> to which we say, okay, time out, Paul. Let me explain something to you. See, the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches you're not supposed to judge others. How many of you have heard that? The Bible teaches you're not supposed to judge others. You're afraid to raise your hand. I know, because, okay. The Bible teaches, you know, okay, Paul, we need to explain something to you before you get so wild and crazy. The Bible teaches you're not supposed to judge others, to which Paul would say, I'm writing the Bible. Thank you, okay, this is in the Bible. It's like, oh, well, I'm just so confused now because I've always been taught the Bible. Now, so let me clear up something. Maybe you came just for this. The Bible, and, you, and this will make you the smartest person at the next dinner party or the smartest person in the office because this comes up all the time. You shouldn't judge. The Bible says, you, here's the deal. The Bible doesn't say we shouldn't judge. The Bible tells us who to judge. The Bible doesn't tell us not to judge. The Bible tells us who to judge. And the apostle Paul's like, you know what? I, don't even, I haven't even met this guy. 
but if what you're saying about him is true, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus. How's that? On the one who has been doing this. I've already passed judgment, and here's why I passed judgment. Because this guy is in the Jesus community. He's a follower of Jesus. He has signed on to be a disciple, and now his behavior is like way out of whack with the Jesus followers. In fact, even the non-Jesus followers are laughing. So he goes on in the next part of the, of, of the passage, and he explains, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put this guy out. In fact, he says something really strong. He says, I want you to give him custody. I want you to make, give him custody and make Satan his uh, custodian. That's what he says. I want you to turn him over to Satan. It's a legal phrase he uses. It's like parole officer. I want you to make Satan his parole officer. I'd like you to meet your parole officer, Satan. <laughs> and it's this figurative language, but he says something really strong. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I want you to tell this guy, if you want to do that, that's fine. You just can't do it here, right? So you go out there and do that. And, and here's what the Apostle Paul knew. Here's what some of you have learned the hard way. Here's what everyone learns eventually. You know that sin always has a consequence? So you might not even believe in sin. That's okay. But did you know sin always has a consequence? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That doesn't mean you die physically. Everybody dies physically. But every time you sin, there, there's, a, there's a death of sorts. Some of you started doing something that was really fun and now it's an addiction. See, every sin has a death. Every sin has a consequence. You got into a relationship and it was great, 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 great. And now it's bad, 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 bad. And you're like, oh, I wish I'd never done this. And you kind of knew you shouldn't have. Because see, it doesn't matter if you're a religious person or not. Every sin has has a consequence. And so the apostle Paul saying, look, get him out there so he'll face the full consequences of his sin so he'll come running back here and say, oh, I never should have done that. I repent. And then you can take him back. So this isn't a send him to hell. This is a, hey, let's just get him back here as quick as possible. Sometimes the shortest route back is to get all the way into your sin and let it beat you up really bad. And then you come on back to a church like ours and you can be with the rest of us beat up sinners. Okay. That, that's how it works. So now, <clears throat> Now, here's what happened. So Paul is writing all this and it occurs to him, it occurs to him, oh, I think I know why they're so confused about this. Because in my previous letter, one of them that we lost, in my previous letter, I said something I bet they took the wrong way. So now Paul decides to clear up something he might think they were confused about from a previous letter. And it's here that he comes right down and answers the question for us, how are we supposed to respond? How are Jesus followers supposed to respond to people who aren't Jesus followers, who are living in such a way that's outside the bounds and outside the rules of Christianity or outside the rules of what a Jesus follower should do. How do we respond to those people? So he clears it up. He says this, I wrote to you in my letter, this is a letter we've lost. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And they're like, yeah, we remember that. You said, don't associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world that is outside the Jesus follower community who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters, in that case, you would have to leave this world. Now that's helpful, isn't it? Because some of you go to family reunions and you're going, I'm not even sure I should be around these people, okay, right? Or you go to work, it's like, I, you know, I'm trying to be a Jesus follower. These people are creepy. You know, these people are everything I used to be. Am I even supposed to be here listening to this? Should I even go with them? And the Apostle Paul is going, yes. You're not supposed to divorce yourself relationally from everybody who's not a Jesus follower just because they're immoral, greedy, swindlers, idolaters. You just, you just have to leave the world. I'm not, I'm not saying you should do that. So the first thing we learn is for those of us who wanna be disciples, 
We're not supposed to disengage from people who have habits or behavior or morality that we don't agree with. But now I'm writing you. He says, let me make sure you know what I'm talking about. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone, now look at this language, who claims to be, he doesn't use the word Christian. Why? Because he didn't use the word Christian because they didn't use that term when they were talking about themselves. But you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, that's their terminology for believers, insiders, but, is, but who is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. So he's saying, let me make sure you got this. You're supposed to judge the people on the inside, but you don't have any business judging the people on the outside. But if there's somebody on the inside in your Jesus community, in your community group, in your leadership team, and basically they're kind of living in the wrong direction is another way to think about this. You know, they're, they're just, they're, you know, we know what Jesus teaches and we believe everything Jesus teaches, but in terms of my lifestyle, I'm kind of living in the wrong direction. He says, okay, you're supposed to judge that person. You're supposed to hold them accountable to the Jesus living, the Jesus teaching kind of of lifestyle, you're supposed to hold them accountable. And then he asked the question that takes us right to the epicenter of his point. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? The answer is, it's none of my business. So let me ask you this question. What business, if you're a Jesus follower, you're, you would call yourself a Christian, but now we're all afraid to use that because the pastor will get mad. I know how that's going. Now I'm a disciple, but disciple, oh, disciple, that's so, I'm like between a Christian and a disciple. I'm not really a Christian, but I, you know, okay. But if you're sort of moving in that direction, the question is, what business is it of yours to hold a non-Jesus person, a non-Jesus follower accountable for their behavior? What business is it of yours? And the answer is, it's none of your business. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about the civil or the federal law, okay? This, you know, that's a whole different kind of law, whole different set of rules. I'm not talking about the Constitution, okay? I'm talking about if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, here's how you handle your marriage. Here's what you do with your money. Here's how you do honesty. Here's how you do business. It, what business do I have of trying to hold someone who never ascribed to that or never subscribed to that standard of living? What business do I have of trying to hold them accountable to a standard they never signed up for to begin with? Paul says, it's absolutely none of your business. See, the reason you used to go to church, some of you, the reason you don't want to have anything to do with the church, some of you, is you felt like there was a group of Christians judging you for your behavior. You never signed up to act the way they wanted you to act to begin with, and you felt judged. And I just gotta tell you, that isn't your fault. That's our fault. That, that's a group of people who tried to leverage something other than love, and it went backwards, didn't it? Didn't it? And our country and our world is full of people who have faced that and experienced that. In the first century, here's the deal. They didn't, they didn't expect non-Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. They just didn't expect that. They expected Jesus followers. Here's a game changer. They expected Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. And so Paul wraps up his past, the passage with this. He says this, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. He uses that J word again. 
Aren't you supposed to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Now we get this so backwards. The church is notorious, the church is notorious for policing the behavior of people outside the church while they do a very poor job policing the behavior of people inside the church. The apostle Paul, who kind of got this whole thing started, said, no, it's the other way around. You need to do a better job policing yourselves and lay off everybody else. They're not accountable to you. They're not accountable to your standard of morality. They're not accountable to your standard of honesty. They never signed up for this. You have no business judging people outside the church. You are to judge yourselves. Now, the, the judge word, I know that, that kind of gets all over us. We kind of like it better to say that the Bible says nobody's supposed to judge. But look, if you're a parent or you've ever been a kid, you understand this, okay? If, you've, if you're a parent or you've ever been a kid, okay, that's all of you. Just want to make sure nobody laughed. I thought that was kind of funny, all right? All of you, if you've ever been a kid or a child, you understand this. In your household, in your household, you had rules, and when you disobeyed the rules, the judge showed up and it was either your mom or your dad or they, they came together and they judged you. They said, in this household, here's how we live, here's what we do. If you're gonna live here, here's how we get along. It's not a good household that doesn't have rules. It's not a good household and it's not good parenting if there's never any judgment. So when my kids break the rules, I hold them accountable. That's all Paul's talking about. That once you become a part of the body of the church, once you join the Jesus followers, there's rules, there's standards, and there's accountability. And we have been called to judge each other, but we have no business, no business, no business judging people's morality or their way they use their money or whether they live their lives outside the church. Another way of saying it is this. I don't care if your kids study for their homework. They're not my kids. But I care a lot about whether or not my kids study and do their homework. And if my kids don't study and don't do their homework, then we talk about it. And if they feel judged, I don't care. I'm the judge, go do your homework. But I'm never gonna walk into your house and judge your kids for the fact that they don't do their homework. They're not my kids. That's all Paul is saying. Now, this is such a big deal that I, I, I just want you to be the elite Jesus followers who are never confused about this ever, ever, ever again. Even if you don't like it, I just think forever and ever, you're gonna be the ones that when somebody says, well, the Bible says not to judge, you go, no, no, no. So I was trying to come up with a little phrase that would just kind of, you know, just kind of stick this in your heart and your conscience. And so I came up with one and it's, it is so churchy. It's like so churchy. It is so preacher-esque. I mean, it's so bad, but... But so what I thought we would do is we would kind of go old school for just a minute. How many of you grew up going to a church where when the pastor said something significant, the men would growl, amen, amen. You got any? Okay, good. Okay, in just a minute, I'm gonna ask you to do that. How many of you, how many of you grew up in churches where the whole time the preacher's talking, the people in the audience are going, mm-hmm, that's right, mm-hmm, yes, yes. And it's like, anybody grew up in a church where they just talk to the preacher the whole time? Yeah. Every once in a while, I find myself speaking to a congregation like that, and honestly, about 10 minutes in, I go, okay, time out, time out, time out. You're killing me, shh, let me talk, okay? I'm just, it's, it's a tradition, it's a tradition, nothing wrong with it, it's just different. But if you grew up in that, in just a minute, I'm, I'm gonna ask you to just bring it, okay? Just go back to your grandmama's church, go back to grandmama's church, and you just bring it. That guy who was always saying that thing, okay? Now, if you're not a church person at all, and you just think that whole thing's weird, at least you've seen this in movies, so I want you to participate too, okay? Way up there in the balcony at Buckhead Church. Don't hide up there. I want you to come on. I want you to get involved. And I want everybody, I'm going to give you the bottom line, the, you know, and then I want you to do your best old school, whatever your tradition 
brings to mind, okay? No profanity, okay? Let's keep it <laughs> clean because I, I've heard that before too. That's kind of funny, all right? So here it is. What the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us is simply this. Judge the believing, not the heathen. <laughs> no, that was terrible. No, 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 wait, time out. Everybody stop. You're not supposed to laugh. You're supposed to give it a whatever, okay? So we're gonna do this one more time, all right? Take a deep breath, here we go. What the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us is this. We're supposed to stop judging, excuse me, now you got me all, all mixed up, all right? Here we go. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this. We're supposed to judge the believing, not the heathen. Amen. Okay, that's, that's better, okay. That's good. Now, I saw a great illustration of this not too long ago. My good friend Mark and his wife Grace Driscoll, um, they live up in the uh, southwest, I mean, excuse me, the northwest United States, have a big network of church, great church leader, and they've written a book together called Real Marriage. And I love the book. Sandra read the book. It's a great book on marriage. Um, and, and, he's, and so he's going around promoting his book, which is awesome. And so a couple of weeks ago, he was on The View. Okay, how many of you have ever seen The View? Okay, yeah, murmur, murmur. So imagine... <laughs> That you're not, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a very entertaining show. Imagine you're on The View and you're a pastor and Elizabeth um, isn't there, okay? The one conservative, she's gone that day. So you've got like nobody sticking up for you. You're the pastor and you're with your, with your wife and you're talking about Christian marriage, okay? All right, so a little bit, could be a little hostile environment. Well, the interview's going great, it's going great, it's going great. And then toward the end, toward the end, um, Willie Goldberg asked, a phenomenal question. Now, a lot of the book is about sex and sex and marriage, and so they're talking about sex and marriage and sex, and so Whoopi Goldberg asked a really, really, really good question. So here's the question, and I want you to think about, you're on national television in that audience with that audience. You're the, the lone pastor and the pastor's wife. How would you answer this question? I thought this was great. Here's the question. I just have to ask because you're talking a lot about being married. Now, if you are widowed and you meet somebody and you don't want to get married again, are you saying that a widow or widower should just do without because God doesn't like it? Now, that's a good question. So, Mark, what you're saying is, like, uh, so, you know, I'm married, my husband or wife dies, and now I don't want to get married again because marriage is so complicated, so I don't want to get married again. So you're saying that people who are widows or widowers, if they don't want to get married again, they just can't have sex anymore? Is that what you're saying? Now, that's, that's a good question. And there's two or three different ways you can go. That's actually two, but then Mark has his own. I'll share with it just a minute because he's so much smarter than the rest of us. One, uh, one response is that's what the scripture teaches. If you're not married, then you're not supposed to have sex, you, 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 no matter who you are, because that's what the Bible teaches. That's one approach to which people would say, no, thank you, Pro probably, right? Then the other, you know, another response is, well, I don't you know what I'm saying, yeah. You know, I, <laughs> what I don't, you know, you just don't go anywhere. Okay, Mark's answer is amazing. And you wouldn't have thought this up. Here's what he said, check this out. How do you argue with this? I worship a guy who died and rose as a virgin. So now we're gonna bring Jesus into it. Now, see, Mary gets all the virgin press, the virgin Mary. We never even think about, neither do we even want to say the Jesus, okay? That's like, wow, okay? So, but, but why this is such a brilliant answer is this. He says, I worship a guy who died and rose as a virgin. So that example would be that someone can live a great life, someone, someone can live a full, great life without being sexually active. In other words, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling every widow or widower what to do. 
I just want you to know there's a category. There's a category where life can be satisfying and people can be happy without being sexually active. That's all I'm saying. I'm not judging anybody, it was brilliant. Then Whoopi asked this question. How's that work? <laughs> Good question. Hey, you've created a category for us, but okay, seriously, I mean, you know, it's easy to throw, How, what does that look like? How does that work? And then Grace, Mark's wife, so just, it was so brilliant what she said. And again, I, I guess this is just off the cuff, but it was just so brilliant. Here's how she answered that question in a very difficult, difficult environment. And listen to how, she, listen to her approach to the answer. Here's what she said. We, talking about in our church, we know a lot of widows actually, and single moms, and they, not talking about everybody, I'm not telling you what to do. I have no business telling you what to do. And they are very happy. They have a relationship with Jesus and they are very happy serving other people. And they can be content. If they desire to have sexual relations again when they get married, yes, but they can be content without that. In other words, there's a category perhaps you don't know about. It's a category of very content, happy, satisfied people who are not in and out of bed with people they're not married to. Just want you to know such a thing exists. Now I'm being a little facetious, so I don't take this more than what I mean, but basically they wanted to make sure everybody knew there's a category. There are Christian men and women who take what the scripture says about marriage and sex seriously, and they actually live that way. I'm not telling you you have to. I'm just telling you there is such a thing. Come take a look. We're not gonna drag you in, we're not gonna push you away. We just want you to know it exists. See, that's how you answer a difficult question once you understand it is none of my business to judge what non-Jesus people do with their lives and their money and their time and their sexuality. It's none of my business. What my business is, is to follow Jesus to the best of my ability and allow people into my life and to get into other people's lives who are trying to follow Jesus to the best of their ability and make sure that we do a good job policing our behavior and quit trying to police everybody else's. I'm telling you, when the church abandons that strategy, we go backwards in our influence. And when we get it right, it's what I said last week. People don't feel coerced, they feel drawn. In fact, I know how most of you became Jesus followers, those of you who would call yourself Christians. I know how it happened. You weren't coerced, you were won. You were won. You weren't coerced, you were drawn. And at times, if you're a Jesus follower, you're gonna make people feel guilty, but not condemned. And the reason they feel guilty is because they look in at the way that you treat your husband, the way you treat your wife, the way you do your money, the way you do your time, the way you prioritize, and they think, well, I don't really do it like that. I feel bad about me, but I don't feel condemned by them. I feel kind of challenged maybe to rethink the way I'm managing that part of my life. See, the bottom line is this, we're to love one another and we're to stop judging outsiders. We're to love one another and part of love is, hey, you're messing up and I know you don't wanna mess up and what's going on and I don't wanna see you, you know. Part of love is just drawing things to your attention. So our responsibility is to love one another, stop judging outsiders. Love one another, stop judging outsiders. Love one another so people are drawn in to watch us live, watch us love, Watch how we die, but we're not gonna judge outsiders.
We're supposed to judge the believing, not the heathen. Now, can you imagine where things may be if we had never abandoned love as our primary point of leverage? Can you imagine maybe where some of your family members would be if they'd never experienced that thing they experienced in a church that kind of bumped them out of faith and bumped them away from ever taking seriously what you say as a Jesus follower? Imagine if we'd gotten this one right. So let's just us, if nobody else, let's just us decide. We're gonna keep trying to figure out how to love better those on the inside. And we're gonna give up judging those on the outside. Because the apostle Paul says, it's none of your business. And it's none of my business. God will be their judge. Let's police our behavior and quit policing the behavior of those on the outside. And then there's one last thing. Don't miss next week, okay? <laughs> Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for preserving these letters from the Apostle Paul for 2,000 years. It would be great to have the other two, but thanks for preserving these two. And Father, for today, some of us feel liberated, some of us feel like, oh no. For some of us, we feel a little bit afraid. For some of us, we're not even sure that's really what that means. For others of us, we gotta go back and think. So give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard. And then give us the courage to do it. And I pray that we would be a gathering of Jesus followers. We would be a gathering of disciples who are extraordinarily good at loving one another. And that people would be drawn to us and ultimately drawn to you because the light of the world has come into this world and has pierced the darkness and has given us light and has given us life and has given us connection with Father God and has given us the ability to live forgiven lives, lives full of peace, lives with contentment regardless of what our circumstances are. So Father, help us to get our part right and then use us in the world around us, in Jesus' name, amen.